You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Mohammed, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia tonight. Mr. Chuck Snow will be joining us here shortly. We are going to start off the night show as we normally always do. Uh, we're going to jump right into this week's USDA fruit and vegetable truck rate report. We have a copy of it listed up on the uh, Rates and Lanes with Rico Muhammad Facebook page. You can look at the copy of it over there. We have some a little bit of movement on a couple of different markets. Uh, these markets that I'm going to list off here are all markets that are showing a shortage of trucks versus loads that are available. Those areas are Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona, Central and South Florida, uh, Eastern North Carolina. Those three markets are hotbed markets right now according to the uh, USDA fruit and vegetable truck rate report published by the USDA. These next markets that I'm going to read off are all markets that are showing a slight shortage. They have it's a shortage that's there. Still opportunities may be abound. Uh, these areas are Imperial, Coachella, and Polo Verde Valley, California, Kern District, California, Oxnard District, California. Salinas, Watsonville, California, Santa Maria, California, Lower Rio Grande Valley, Texas, and Mexico crossing through Texas. Those areas are all areas that could be exploited right now if you're working that spot market, if you're out there chasing that produce. Everybody knows these are the hot lanes, especially right now at this time of year. Uh, every other market that is available on the report is reporting an adequate supply of trucks versus loads, and we don't have any markets that are reporting surpluses or slight surpluses. So pretty much everything, is, the, the needle is moving in the right direction. If you are working the spot market or if you're out there chasing the produce, the needle is definitely moving in the right direction for you to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that may be available in those given markets. Jumping over, moving from uh, the USDA truck rate report, moving into this week's DAT trend lines report. Um, I want to make sure that I have the right one. Okay, spring produce season is underway. Boosting the national average reefer rate one cents per mile, van rates took a breather last week as the national average van rate declined by three cents per mile despite a strong showing from several southern markets. The average flatbed rate dipped by one cents per mile from one from a record high in previous week and the flatbed load to truck ratio remains at over one hundred loads per truck. Let's take a deeper dive and look and see how dry vans were performing on the spot market for the week of uh, technical glitch here. Let's see if we can get this 
hate it when this happens. Here we go. Okay. There we go. Got it. For the week of May 6th through the 12th, uh, drive vans on the spot market. The This is the uh, van demand and capacity portion of the report. Van load postings increased by 7%. While truck posts increased by 3%, that caused the van load-to-truck ratio to increase by 3%, jumping to 6.4 loads per truck. Despite the increase, the national average van rate declined by $0.03 cents per mile. Taking a look back historically, the van load-to-truck ratio dipped slightly in April compared to March, but it's still well above the norm for this time of year. Van load Low post declined by 1% in April compared to March, and truck post increased by 3%. As a result, the April load-to-truck ratio declined by 4% to 6.6 van loads per truck. The April ratio was 90% higher than it was in, at the same time of April 2017. We're going to jump over and take to see how the van was van rates were performing on the spot market for the previous week, but we have a uh, few prices that have increased by 2.2%, jumping up to a national average diesel price of $3.24 per gallon. Moving on, jumping over into the national rate for dry vans on the spot market for the week of May 6th through the 12th. Last week was a tale of two markets with the most of the southern markets up and northern markets were down. Nationally, however, the average fan rate declined $0.03 cents to $2.15 per mile. That was $0.47 cents higher than a year ago. The load-to-truck ratio for vans increased by 4% last week. Taking a look back historically, the national average rate for April was $2.16 per mile, up $0.02 cents from March. That's the second highest monthly average surpassed only by the record high of $2.24 per mile in January of this year. Last month's rate was $0.49 cents higher than the average rate of April of 2017. Taking a look around the country, breaking it up by region, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being the representative city, we show an average spot market for dry vans at $2.06 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate for dry vans at $2.42 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Chicago, Illinois checks in, showing an average spot market rate at $2.42 per mile. Moving down into the south-central region of the United States, Dallas, Texas being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $2.06 per mile. Wrapping up the DAT dry van report for the spot market coming out of the West Coast, Los Angeles, California is the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $2.45 per mile. Moving right along, jumping over into this week's flatbed portion of the DAT report. Uh, flatbed demand and capacity for the week of May 6th through the 12th. 
Last week, flatbed load postings declined by 1%, while truck posts increased by 8%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to drop 102 loads per truck. The flatbed load-to-truck ratio has been above 100 has been above 100 loads per truck for seven weeks in a row. The national average flatbed rate declined by one cent per mile. And taking a look back historically, compared to March, load posts rose by 12% in April, while truck posts declined by 4%. That boosted the load-to-truck ratio by 17% compared to the previous month at 105.8 loads per truck. The ratio was 142% higher than in April of 2017. Moving right along, we're going to jump over to see uh, how the rates were performing for flatbeds over the past week. Let's see here. For the week of May 6th through the 12th, last week the national average flatbed rate declined by one cent to $2.71 per mile after hitting the highest flatbed rate ever recorded in DAT trend lines the previous week. There has been strong demand for flatbeds from the energy and construction sectors, and the load-to-truck ratio has been above 100 loads per truck for seven weeks in a row. So flatbeds, and they have a pie chart, uh, actually a line chart here, and this thing is just when you talk about the contract rate versus the spot market rate, and there is a steady incline. It's just going straight up in the air for flatbeds, which is, of course, a, a really good thing if that's, if that's the market that you are that's the segment of the transportation industry that you are servicing. That is music to your ears. Historically, uh, picking back up, compared to March, the national average flatbed rate in April increased by 12 cents to $2.65 per mile. Flatbed rates are 58 cents higher than they were in April of 2017. Uh, taking a look around the country on the flatbed rates, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania being the representative city, and they are leading the charge nationally on the spot market, showing an average outbound rate of $4.32 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, outbound flatbed rates at $3.28 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois being the representative city, showing $3.64 per mile on the spot market for flatbeds. Moving down into the south central region of the United States, Houston, Texas being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $3.03 per mile. Moving over to the west coast, Phoenix, Arizona being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $1.79 per mile. That, uh, that again, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's portion of the uh, DAT Trendline's flatbed rate report. 
And if you are in flatbeds, I tell you that is that is music to your ears to, to see the demand that is uh, that is booming right now. Moving on over to the reefer portion of the report for May six, the 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 uh, reefer demand and capacity portion of the report for May six through the twelfth. Reefer load post fell three three percent while truck post increased by six percent. That caused the national load to truck ratio for reefers to decline by eight percent, uh, dropping down from nine point two to eight point five loads per truck. The national average reefer rate gained one cent per mile. Taking a look back historically, in April reefer load post declined twelve percent while truck posts added 2%. Compared to March, that caused the load-to-truck ratio to fall 14% to 9.1 loads per truck. The ratio was up 37% compared to April of 2017. Let's jump over and see how those rates were performing for reefers over the previous week of May 6th through the 12th. The national average reefer rate increased one cent to $2.49 per mile, which is $0.06 cents above the April average and $0.50 cents higher than one year ago. The national load-to-truck uh, ratio for reefers declined last week. Historically, in April, the national average reefer rate was $2.43 per mile. That was $0.03 cents higher than the March average compared to April of 2017. The rate was $0.49 cents higher back in 2017, uh, excuse me, it's 49 cents higher than it was in 2017 of April. Apologize for that. Uh, and once again, similar to the flatbed, not not quite as uh, not quite as pronounced, but on that on the uh, graph chart that they have on here, it's just a steady incline, which is which is good news. If only we could uh, make sure that we got our costs under control. But taking a look around the country by region on the spot market, starting in the northeastern portion, Elizabeth, New Jersey being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $2.04 per mile. Moving down to the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida, being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $2.80 per mile. Green Bay, Wisconsin, leading the charge for reefers at $3.09 per mile on the outbound spot market rate. Moving down into the South Central region, uh, McAllen, Texas, showing a strong $2.56 per mile. And coming out of the West Coast, Fresno, California, being the representative city, showing average spot market rate for reefers at $2.64 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's EAT Trend Lines report altogether. And let me see if I can grab our good friend, Mr. Chuck Snow. Let's grab Chuck. I think this should be him. Rico? Good evening. Chuck, how are you? We're well. How are you doing? Oh, we're well. We are doing well as well. And Chuck, I grabbed you a little bit too soon because I had one more thing that I need to read off. I forgot about. And there are a lot of people... They they love to hear from it was not really good news for us, uh, but the bad broker report. Oh, I thought maybe there wasn't one this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, hopefully it's, we don't have as many entries 
Um, I'm just going to run through them really quickly here. Um, Old Town Brokerage Inc. That MC number is five six seven zero five three. FMCSA shows that the trust fund canceled on four eleven eighteen. They have over one hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars in none and active non-payment complaints that have been reported. Southeast Service Transportation and Carriers LLC. That DOT number is two two four four eight two five. MC number is six eight five. 019 FMCSA shows that the surety bond is canceled on 216.18 over 20 over oh, excuse me $253,000 and non payment complaints that have been reported. Think Transport LLC that MC number is 065965 FMCSA shows that the trust fund canceled on 5518 over $44,000 in non payment complaints that have been reported. AG Specialties LLC, um, FMCSA shows that the trust fund is canceled. Over $28,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. The MC number for some reason on that one comes up blank. Uh, Highway 1 Logistics Inc, that MC number is 545-342. FMCSA shows that the surety bond canceled on 5618 over $100,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. In the last entry, JIT Transport, Transportation Services, LLC, that MC number is 526214. FMCSA shows surety bond canceled on 51618. <clears throat> that was today. Over $15,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. And that will wrap up the bad broker report for this week. Uh, glad to see that it, the list is shrinking and not growing. Uh, Chuck, with any, not, without any further ado, how are you and how are things with you guys over at Traffics? Well, we're busy. We're, uh, you know, things are going well. Um, the economy seems to be going strong in both our countries and uh, people need trucks and people need drivers and people need freight moved and that's what we do and I think everybody I speak to is busy as heck. And that's a good sign. I don't see a lot of iron parked against the fence where drivers are available. Well, I gotta, I gotta uh, want to kind of steer the topic a little bit tonight. Um, we're seeing that everybody uh, just read off the DAT report. Rates seem to be uh, across all segments seem to be steadily increasing. We had a little bit of a decline on the dry van segment, but reefers and uh, especially flatbeds just seem to just be uh, just going through the roof. Now, given that given that formula of what's already in the marketplace, what's already going on, and upcoming uh, road check 2018 is, is looming, coming up on us fast with the implementation of the uh, ELD law, do you think that we may see a capacity crunch for that one week that we have the uh, road check? But normally, you know, a lot of guys will take that week off, take the, you know, uh, avoid being out here altogether, and that's another reason why rates seem to spike during that time. So, are we? You think that there may be, with the implementation of the ELDs, do you think that we might see an even further spike, or do you think things? Because everybody now is supposed to be on ELDs, do you think we're going to see just uh, 
just a steady, normal market increase. I, you know what? I think we're, uh, I think we're into uh, a period of normalcy. I don't, you know, rates rates go up and down a little bit. I can't see a lot of the people pulling their trucks off the road for that week. It doesn't make business sense. Uh, if you're not doing things right, you're going to be doing them right. Um, you know, it's just there's too much money at stake. The people have, that I talk to have they've all changed their ways. Uh, you know, I'm not hearing of any of the the cowboy stuff that was going on before. People have, you know, this is our new period of re-regulation, and people are scared. People that have stayed in it, I think, are scared not to comply. There's just too much to lose, and you know those people that have stayed in it are reaping the benefit of it, and I can't see them wanting to right, lose momentum right. for that week. What do you think, Rico? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I think that maybe some of the guys that uh, you may see uh, capacity, a little bit more of a capacity crunch again, because I think you're still going to have your guys that uh, that running the older equipment, you know, the, the, that, that still are running paper laws that didn't have to, to comply with the uh, mandate. So I think you may see some of those guys might be some of the ones that might uh, be the time for them to take their vacation during that week. Uh, I, I think that that may be a scenario, and and I think that that may help um, drive prices up just a – it may make things a little bit tough and drive prices up just a little bit more during that week as, uh, again. But that's just – Most, that's, of, that's, I, I, most I of that older equipment, though, is that where people – it's old enough where people are running paper logs. Most of that stuff is pristine. It's in better shape than the two-year-old equipment. You know, these people have taken I, the stuff I've seen. These guys have taken really good care of that iron. Oh yeah, I, I agree. That definitely show, they got some pride in your ride. But I, but there are some there are some that are out there that just that it's not necessarily that they have they feel like there's anything uh, that they're at risk. It's just that if there's an attitude out there that I don't even want to deal with the increased, you know, they feel like it's harassment to a degree. They, and so they, I get and, it. and they, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling of the, the little, the small guy. It always seems like, Hey, we're always the ones that's getting, when, when this comes down the pipe, we're always the ones that get picked on and they never, the, the bigger, the bigger fleets, they never seem to get the same amount of attention as, you know, uh, a guy running his own numbers would. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's. Uh, um, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm sure that there has to be somewhere where they have the uh, the data of what trucks they 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 are uh, what trucks they are doing the inspections on. I'm sure that all that stuff has to be kept somewhere. And I, it'd be interesting to see uh, the the amount of inspections that the one that you know the smaller carriers get versus the big carriers. Well, Rico, I I got to tell you, I pay attention to to what I see visually when I'm going down the road, and the trucks that I see in for the secondaries in Ontario, especially, are a broad, you know, a real broad uh, spectrum, from some of the biggest fleets to the you know to the one horse operators. They don't seem to discriminate who they're who they're going to check. I can tell you. 
from my own experience and and talking to uh, enough drivers through my career that you want to have your truck clean and you want to have stuff you know in order and you want to look in order you know and I can't stress that strong enough especially next week but at all times when you know when you're being pulled in or, or you know or they're looking in your truck and and your trucks unkempt i i've argued with drivers of my own that you know that use their dashboards as a filing cabinet and that's the sort of thing gets you pulled in when they see papers and empty coffee cups all over the dashboard because that's the first impression. Right. And then when the DOT officer looks at you and you've got your short pants on or your bathing suit pants on and you've got your, your sandals and you've got your muscle shirt, you're probably getting inspected. So look the part, look professional, make sure your truck looks professional, and, you know, you may breeze through this thing. Right. And it, it doesn't hurt to, you know, uh, Go ahead and, I mean, it's basic maintenance and stuff like that. You know, maybe um, go grab your coveralls and get a chance to get familiar with your equipment, crawl over it, crawl, crawl underneath it, you know, um, and just check on, just double check on everything. Give you give it a good visual inspection. And if you're not familiar or comfortable with doing those things, um, it's, it's worth the money to stop by, uh, any truck stop or whatever the, the, the truck stops that offer it, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, give them any free advertisement. I mean, you should you know which ones that are out there that are available, but you know you can you can pay to get you a, a mid trip inspection, and sometimes even Nastic will Nastic will give uh, free certificates out to uh, get a free mid trip inspection or at least a twenty dollar uh, mid trip inspection done. You know. Um, and that, that's better than not having anything at all if you're not 100% comf- comf- confident or comfortable with doing it yourself. Then, you know, you can get somebody to kind of look over those things. And if something comes up, you know, go ahead and get them addressed uh, while you're there at a truck stop and get it. You know, it's, it's better to get it addressed, spend whatever little money that you need to spend to get it taken care of versus uh being stopped at a scale house somewhere on, or worse yet, on the on a spot inspection on the side of the road, and then having to go somewhere to be put out of service uh, to wait till it gets repaired to get back on the road. It's best to go ahead and get that. You know, uh, if you can just go be proactive about that in, in your equipment, you know, just to make sure everything is in proper working order and proper working condition. Um, any any other suggestions that you might have? Any any other well, suggestions uh, you might would give some guys on that? No, I think you gave. Uh, you know what? I think you gave some some great ideas. I think that uh, you can go a little bit further. And one thing I'm telling all of our guys now is, uh, you know, our existing drivers and and new drivers starting out. You know, historically we all take the uh, the tire billy and we or we kick the tires. I don't think that works anymore. I think that you need to take the extra time, get a tire pressure gauge, check your air pressure, because you can't always tell with a thump. And check your air pressure because two things. Number one, you certainly don't want to roll over a scale with a bad tire because you're going to be placed out of service and it's going to cost you time and money. But in general, with these ELDs, when you're doing your pre-trip 
at the start of your shift, check your tire pressure because it's so much easier. It's the first thing you should check because if you've got a tire that's way, way down, then you need to get help right away. It's cheaper and faster to usually get it at your yard or even at a customer's place than it is at the side of the road. And you can blow six or seven hours trying to get a tire repaired or replaced. And, of course, if you blow one, then it gets really expensive because some of these tire companies will really take advantage when you're in the middle of nowhere. So I just want to add that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are the things. uh, And I've got an article here coming up about the – I'm trying to skim through it really quickly to see what this year's focus is going to be on because every year – during the uh during the the safety blitz they have a specific focus that they are looking at and I'm trying to skim through to see if I can see anything on what it is that they're specifically going to be looking at and so I can tell you from really from our experience though at at any uh any inspection station the first thing the first thing they're looking at is the driver um and the truck uh, in general, just general appearance. And then when they start checking, they go right for trailer brakes and tractor brakes. So for God's sakes, make uh, sure your brakes are in adjustment. That's like, that's the, uh, that's the money pot. Well, here we go. We got it here. The Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance's annual international road check, a three-day ramp-up of truck and bus enforcements across North America, is scheduled for June 5th through the 7th. This year's focus will be on hours of service compliance, says CVSA, due in part to the implementation of U.S. DOT electronic logging devices mandate. Uh, the top reasons drivers were placed out of service during 2017 International Road Check was for hours of service violations, said the CVSA President Captain Christopher Turner of Kansas Highway Patrol, although the electronic logging device rule that went into effect on December 18th does not change any of the underlying hours of service rules or exceptions, the ELD mandate placed a spotlight on hours of service compliance. We thought this year would be a perfect opportunity to focus on the importance of hours of service regulations. However, inspectors will perform full level one inspections on most rigs Check during the inspection blitz. Level 1 inspections are the most thorough, including examination of both driver compliance and vehicle-related violations. CVSA has said in in years past that an average of 15 trucks and buses are inspected every minute across North America during the 72-hour event. In the last year's road check, 15,000 out-of-service orders were issued of those 12,000 12,000 were issued for vehicle-related violations, and 3,000 were issued for driver-related violations. Violations related to hours of service and service and breaks topped the out-of-service infractions. Enforcers in 2017 conducted more than 63,000 inspections during the 72-hour event. That article comes from courtesy of... Uh, Overdrive magazine. Great publication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great guys over there. Another um, um, 
so Chuck, I, I know you stay abreast on politically. Is there anything that on the political front that we might need to be aware of that uh, hasn't been necessarily reported or we hadn't talked about yet? Well, no, I think the big question right now is what's going to happen with NAFTA. Uh, that concerns an awful lot of us on both sides of the border, actually all three sides of the border. I'm sure that the, uh, you know, a lot of the carriers down in Mexico are worried. We're, we have concerns. Um, I know some of the U- U.S. carriers that are located, especially in the border states, uh, Michigan and, and just, you know, uh, Ohio, uh, New York, uh, they're concerned, as are the manufacturers, uh, you know, because we all depend on this North American Free Trade Agreement a lot more than people realize. There's millions of jobs at stake, and politics seem to be rearing its ugly head. So uh, things aren't going as well as what we had all hoped for. And doubling back around, I want to swing back around. What have you been experiencing on your end as far as on, on with this explosion of flatbeds, with all of the stuff that is going on with the, the high demand for flatbeds? What are you? Uh, uh, what have you guys been experiencing as far as your brokerage? And I'm not sure if you got flat. I know you guys got reefers in your fleet, but do you guys run uh, flatbed services as well in, in the fleet? We've got a couple of flatbeds. Um, I. You know, I had uh, I had more at one time. It was just too hard to keep flatbed drivers and owner operators. They seem to be fairly transient up here, anyways. Um, and one of the things we found was that the flatbed business is brisk. There is a huge shortage of uh, flatbed equipment and flatbed drivers, and that has spiked the prices and. An awful lot of it has to do with the natural disasters that we had last year. Between the hurricanes and uh, the floods and, and the forest fires, um, that's, created a, uh, that's created a nightmare. And that, I guess, as I've said before, unfortunately, there's money in misery. And all those homes that were lost through those natural disasters have to be rebuilt. And that's where a lot of this, you know, this... Flatbed equipment is—it's all going there. It's hauling building products. Right. I think that with the uh, with the with like I say all of the stuff that happened with the natural disaster and then with the building. I mean, because it is also—I mean, it's it's spring going into summer, so this is heavy building time. Uh, and with uh, I think the housing market being getting starting to uh, well, housing market has recovered fully. Um, and oh, yeah. it's kind of going through another little boom. Um, you got that going on, and then you got a lot of stuff with the energy sector, uh, building and infrastructure. So you're seeing a lot of stuff, but it just the, the prices that I just was looking at on the spot market for flatbeds is just, man, I mean, almost $5 a mile coming out of the Northeast on flatbeds yeah. on the spot market. That is just. Well, you know, you, you look, at, almost, look at everything behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I got to tell you, if I was uh, if I was going to get back on the road full time, that's what I would do. Um, but the problem is, if we look at everything behind it, and we look at the average age of a driver, that's the other reason there's a shortage, because people are getting uh, they're getting too old to throw tarps huge issue 
and for a lot of loads, you can't use. I know that the you know we call them Conestoga wagons, the covered wagons, um, the roll tights. They're real popular, but there's a lot of applications you can't use them for. And they rip easy. They're expensive. And you know a lot of people don't want to make that investment. But yeah, the explosion on the flatbed market is just crazy. And I just want to remind everybody: if you got a question, uh, if you want to get in with myself or Chuck, you can press the number one. That'll get you up in, the, so we can kind of screen your call, and we'll get you up and on board. Um, we got an opportunity now. We don't have anybody. Uh, we got quite a few calls on the line. But we don't have anybody that's got a question. So if you got a question, you can press number one, and we get right to you. And if you have a question, we always welcome your call or participation here on the Race and Lanes podcast. Um, Rico, so what else? What, what else should we be? Yes, sir. Uh, well, one thing I do want to talk about that I think is really interesting, there's a lot of controversy right now about in the U.S. about allowing people under the age of 21 years old to drive interstate across state lines. And I, for one, I think this could save our industry. And I think we need to, I mm. think we need to go... We need to go forward with it. I, the uh, OOIDA is totally against it. Um, I think that you know they're they, you know they've come on record as saying that uh, they don't think it's a good idea because young drivers aren't safe drivers, and I think there's a lot of young drivers that are unsafe drivers. There's a lot of old drivers that are unsafe drivers. I'm just talking about drivers in general, not just truck drivers. Um, a lot of it is bad habits. Uh, I think that. If we can take the right young people, and driving truck is not a profession for everybody. I'm going to start using this. I've started already. Uh, and I think everybody that's listening and everybody in our industry, we need to stop calling it a job or a trade. It's a profession, especially right now with everything going on with the congestion on our roads and and the restrictions and everything else that's expected of a truck driver. It's a true profession. And I think if we want to make this known as a profession, I think we need to get some of these younger people that we lose, these people that are getting out of high school that don't want to go uh, for post-secondary education because it's so damn expensive, and they want to enter the work world. And they're unable to enter the trucking industry until they're 21. Well, by that time, a lot of them that have finished high school at 17 or 18 have picked other paths. So we'll lose them forever. They'll become mechanics or they'll become, uh, you know, construction workers or they will, whatever, plumbers. Uh, but we, we won't have them in trucking. And a lot of them would love to be in trucking. This is still a great industry. So I think that there's room if we can grab those, uh, you know, those 17 and 18-year-olds. And they've proven this in Quebec. Um, where they've taken them and they've had excellent training and they're phenomenal drivers. And I think that the rest of North America can take a look at this and we could do something with it. It works. What's your opinion? Well, you know, there's an old saying, you inspect what you expect. And the the, the (laughs) number one thing that I think that that would go a long ways with it if that was to be successful. The key thing is got to be absolutely the training. I think even with oh, yeah. even with the new drivers that are coming into the industry, um, we we have to 
unfortunately, we are just so driven by let's hurry up and let's get this person uh, generating revenue that sometimes the, 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 the training goes lacking and, we, and we're putting people out there ill-prepared Ill or ill-equipped to actually be a really good driver. Um, and and uh, that, so that's the, you know, I'm on social media. We, we got, of course, we got the Race and Lanes Facebook page on social media. Um, and unfortunately, you see a lot on social media with people uh, posting different things that are happening out here on the road as they're driving down the road. Um, we have to break some of those things, you know, we got to break those bad habits of the, the, those things like the, that when it, when it comes around, you know, use of technology and stuff like that. And that's, that would be my only main concern with, with some of the younger people is that sometimes, uh, especially with me having younger children, that their minds are not, um, and, and like you say, it's a, it's a specific person that you're going, we're going to be, uh, to be a truck driver anyway. Just anybody, you know, it takes a special breed to want to actually get in and do this profession. Uh, but I think they just need to have stress on the importance of, you know, uh, this is really life or death. I mean, you you got a you got a, a eighty thousand pound piece of equipment that you're going down the road, and uh, not only is your life at stake, but you know the the motoring public's life is at stake, and it's not a it's not a you know, it's not just a, it's not a video game. Um, so that would be my only concern as far as making sure that we are vetting and getting the right people, uh, and that we are giving giving adequate and proper training so that so that uh, it could be given. Because it only takes one incident to for for them to uh, for them to use as the post child to, to to derail such a such a uh, innovative idea like that. You know, Rico, there have been 18-year-olds driving trucks forever in both our countries, but they don't run across state lines. And in, in Canada, most of them don't run over provincial lines. But I've met all sorts of farm boys up here, especially, that have been you know, driving tractor trailers since they were 18 years old, some of them a little bit younger, and they're, they're safe drivers. And they were never idiots. They always respected their equipment. And I, I do believe that we have the capability today to do testing, even before somebody starts, to check what they're all about. There's enough psychological testing available where we can see whether this person, we, you just have to create a profile. And you know what you want. We're taking 18-year-olds. Right. And we're we're training them uh, for the military, and we're putting them into life and death situations with planes and heavy equipment and everything overseas. Why the heck can't we train them to drive trucks and put them on our highways? Make a make a great point. I can't. I I have nothing for that. Like I said, the, the main thing that the only thing that I see is that the training is the training is is absolutely. I mean. We we got we that's got right across uh, the board. You're right, right, right. Because we got 35 year olds that that some of these guys shouldn't be behind the truck because of the way they've been trained. So with that, I I don't know if it matters if they're 35 or if they're 18. If it, if the training is subpar, then you're gonna you know don't be surprised with what you get as a result of that. Rico, I have to tell you, uh, I do some of the interviews around here, 
and most of the road tests. And, and the road tests are one of the things I want control of because I want to know who's driving our trucks. And the first thing I ask drivers when they come and owner operators when they come in here for a for an interview is, do you know how to check brakes? I want you to be honest with me. And the vast majority say no. They don't know how. And the schools up here have gotten away, most of them, without teaching it. And I think that's deplorable. I'm not talking about adjusting brakes. Yeah. That's old school. I'm just talking about checking to see if they're in adjustment. And I send them yeah, into our shop uh, for a lesson. That's that's good because a lot of um, um, even now on the road, if you go somewhere, uh, I know that a lot of the truck stops they will not they will not adjust brakes uh, nope. because they're supposed to be equipped with the uh, automatic. So they they they're, they kind of form the uh, take the position of it's, if they're out of adjustment, something's wrong in the braking system altogether. And I'm not a hundred percent sure about how how good the automatic slack adjusters are all always are. I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not a mechanic by no stretch of the imagination, uh, but you know we we were always taught you know how to go you know especially with the trailers and stuff how to go go down there and and uh, you know tighten them all the push the brakes in tighten them all the way up and then back them off a half turn. You know that's that's right. the way that we were always. The, the rule of thumb for us to to make sure that the brakes were properly adjusted, you know, that's to make sure they were properly adjusted. And a lot of times, uh, you don't you don't even have like say people don't even know the basics on how to even do that. But the good thing about no. that is that uh, you know um, maybe we need I don't know it, that, that gives me an idea to maybe start doing some stuff. I've seen some different things on uh, some different stuff, training stuff on YouTube. Uh, but but like you say, those are those are critical things that somebody when they're first coming out, especially when they're being trained, those are some, seems like rudimentary things that we definitely need to make sure that we got incorporated. Um, I mean, when back even when I went to school, um, we didn't even uh, we didn't even learn how to chain up in school. Right. Well, they don't teach that. No, you get a, they don't teach that unless you're in a place like British Columbia, Alberta, or Montana, or someplace where chains are mandatory. Right, right. And, and when, the vast and majority when you're of drivers having yeah, yeah, you don't want to be learning how to chain up for the first time on the side of the road. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> We're. Uh, I've ordered some new trailers that are coming in the uh, in the fall, and the the sh- I got to tell you the shortage of trailers out there, uh, new equipment is is worse than anybody's going to tell you it is. It's just not there. There, oh, you know, really? if you wanted to buy something new, can't find it. And uh, no, the new trailers I ordered, they all have disc brake. Oh yeah, um, everything's everything I'm ordering from now on is going to have disc brakes. I'm just taking that whole whole equation away from everybody, and I'll give them disc brakes, and they they just have to worry about their tractors. Ah, that's a nice new feature. Yeah, the, you know, I looked at it, and I I made some calls to some of the uh, some of the people that run shops in the U.S. for some of the big carriers, some of the uh, the. Um, 
the people, the VPs of, uh, of maintenance at some of the bigger carriers that we work with and to get their opinion. And they're all either going to disc brakes or they're leaning towards them now. The One of the big carriers, I don't want to mention their name because it wouldn't be right, but they're out of uh, Salt Lake City. And their, their words to me were, well, we watch every single penny here, and it's almost getting to the point where we can justify it because it's just about worth it now. It hasn't been in the past. But, you know, that's the, the cost of doing brake jobs and out-of-service violations. The only thing that I did find out about the discs was if you're going in and out of construction sites or it's really dusty or really muddy, they're not, it's not a good system. It's really bad. Oh, okay. Okay. Because the dirt gets so, in there and so you have problems. We're getting, we're getting close to that point in the show where we got about 10 minutes left. You want to tell everybody out there how they can get in contact with you and what you guys may or may be able to offer them over at Traffics with the, the brokerage side of the game? Well, we have... All types of loads. We have reefer loads, dry loads. We do have flatbed loads. We have offices in Chicago. Uh, we have offices in Dallas, Texas. And we have an office in Montreal, downtown Toronto, Oakville, and Milton, Ontario. And if you want to get hold of me, you can call me directly at 800 388 4352. And my extension is 203. And that part's really important. You need to be able to dial 203. Otherwise, you'll go through voicemail hell. Um, if you need a load out of Dallas, you can call our Dallas office. And I'll give you that number in a sec. I've got to find it here. Um, you can also call our Chicago office. And the number there, if you need a load, uh, speak to our planners there. The number is 888-253-8010, extension 743. And if you want to email me, it's real easy. It's just chuck at traffics.com. And if you email me, I will answer your email um, as quick as I can. I do answer all my phone calls, so if you do get my voicemail, please leave a message with a phone number. And as I said, we have loads uh, within the U.S., domestic loads. We do have some state-to-state -state loads as well. We have uh, a lot of cross-border loads, both loads going from the U.S. to Canada and Canada to the U.S. And oh, the one thing I didn't mention, Rico, we are going to be opening up another office in, uh, down in Colorado in uh, Denver uh, coming in July. So if anybody needs loads... Uh, well, it's going to be uh, it's a brokerage office, so we'll handle dry, reefer, flatbed, whatever we can. And Here we the, grow uh, yep, um, it's really exciting. So I want to give you the Dallas number too. It's eight 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 seven one three five one eight nine, and the extension is seven two one. And those offices aren't just restricted to those areas. So if you're in California, you need a load to New York. Those offices have freight like that all the time because of the scope of customers we have. 
All right. Well, we got someone that got their hand raised. We're going to let them kind of close out the show. Let's go and grab Bruce real quick. Bruce, you're up and on board with Rico and Chuck. How can we help? Hey, I was just curious, uh, Chuck. You mentioned that they say disc brakes aren't good in construction or dirty mud sites. What's the reasoning for that? Apparently, the uh, apparently, so I heard, the dust and the dirt just get in and compromise the system. They get into the uh, they get into the pads and the discs and everything. Well, I've had disc brakes on my truck for seven hundred thousand miles, and I ran a lot of sand and gravel roads in the first half of the truck's life, and I still got three quarter or better on my on my brake shoes. So. I would take I, I would take whoever said that I take them and put, take them out behind the woodshed and beat them with a wet stick because they're wrong. Those, those I actually brakes. had the the salesman at the at the trailer uh, from the trailer dealer. He, that's what he said, and I was with somebody in uh, Alberta three weeks ago that runs into the tar sands into um, yeah. into the sites there. And he had tried them, and he said the same thing. So, I don't know. Maybe you just got lucky. I have no idea, Bruce. I'm glad <laughs> to hear you had such good luck with them, because well, I'll do even better with dry roads. Well, you know, I mean, I went to the Indianapolis Car Racing Museum here four or five years ago, and Indy cars came out with disc brakes already right after World War II. And right. I always figure if it's good for NASCAR, if it's good for IndyCar, it's good for Bruce's large car. <laughs> well, Bruce, you must have saved a lot of money and a lot of aggravation if you put that many miles on them. That's great to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, the DOT, they just shake their head when they look at them because, well, they can't be oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, the thing they could be is if the pads are wore out, and you can see right there how much pad you have. Uh, they right. never need adjustment. They don't need greasing. They're, they're, they're zero maintenance except if you, you know, have a diaphragm or something pop on the can, which I had happen once, but I just replaced the diaphragm, and that was good enough. And so, I mean, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be standard equipment, and drum brakes ought to be gone with the dinosaur and the woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger because, as far as I'm concerned, they're junk compared to disc brakes. You know what? I have to uh, I have to agree with you just on the amount of people that don't know how to adjust brakes. Why are we why do we have this old system that's antiquated? You're right. Because uh, there's a much safer way of doing it. Safer, cheaper, and and disc brakes will not fade. I mean, you can stand on them as long as they're not on fire. They're they're there, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's my two cents. You guys have a so, 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 Bruce, I got a question for you. Dad, did, did you order your new? Did you order your trailer with the disc brakes, or did you have a trailer switched over to disc brakes? I ordered my track with them on. I, I did that when I ordered. To switch them over is is almost impossible because the wheel ends are so completely different with the components that they weld to the axle. That you know, I I don't see it ever being cost effective to switch. From from yeah, you losing me? Oh man, yeah, the, you broke up on us just for a second there, but we we I think we got the gist okay. of it. I can hear you perfectly, Bruce. Yeah, no. Now, yeah, he came back in just now. On the on the ends of the axles that the brake you know foundation it all mounts to 
is so different that there's there's just no practical way to convert from drums to disc. The only way to do it is to either put a complete new axle under it or, like you're doing, Chuck, just trade off, make it part of your trade cycle. Yep. And that's what we're going to start doing. It's just going to keep costs down and uh, keep trucks going and just make life a lot easier. You know, and they run cooler because that disc is out there in the breeze all the time, whereas with a drum, you know, it's hidden underneath the wheel. And so, right. you know, it's there. There are just so many things so much better about them. I, like I said before, I'm I'm really surprised the industry is has not gone to them a hundred percent. Well, they should have legislated that before they legislated the ELDs. The roads would be a lot safer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot of the manufacturers went to disc brakes on the front when they had to shorten the stopping distance on, you know, on a tractor. I don't know why they just didn't go the rest of the way around and, and make it all one, you know, one, uh, one style of component rather than having a mix and match on, on tractors like so many of the manufacturers did. Money, money, money. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the root of all, all right, evil, Bruce. Appreciate <laughs> Yeah. Well, you guys have a good one. I'm going to drop into another bad cell phone area here. So. Okay. You be safe, Bruce. We appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you. Uh, and with that being said, we're at that part of the show where we have to bid you all a good night. It's been hour just kind of just flew by on us once again. Um so we want to definitely send a big thank you and shout out to uh, one of the daughters. I'm not sure which one of the girls are back home screening calls. They kind of fall asleep on us from time to time, but they did. We have to nudge them or something, and they'll, and, and they'll get up and get the get the call screen. So whichever, whichever one of my lovely daughters back there screening phone calls, we definitely appreciate it. Thank you. And um, <laughs> we want to thank Kevin and Lisa Brother for the, and the entire Less Truck team for giving us helping provide us with the platform to be able to bring you this show. Um, we definitely, definitely appreciate it. We want to try to get better at, uh, if we're not able to make, my schedule has been kind of crazy. My customer stuff, stuff has been picking up, and my customer has been uh, throwing stuff at me right and left, and, and so my schedule has been really hectic and really crazy. Uh, but we're going to try to see, even if we can't do the show live as we normally do, we may start going to a recorded format to where we at least try to get the information out to you guys from uh, the DAT bad broker report just record it uh, and put it out there. If we can't do it live, we're going to try to do that so that we can try to bring it to you on a more consistent basis. But um, with that being said, we want to thank you guys once again for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us on the Racing Lanes podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. God bless you. Good night, and God willing, we'll talk at you next week. You guys be safe out there. Keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. Thank you again, Chuck. Be safe, Rico. God bless. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-PUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.